you, remember? I told him down here we drank the last drink for toast. Yes, I never heard that before. Nobody ever heard it before. The Lord forgives those who invent what they need. I already had his signature, but we've all done business with men whose word over a glass is better than a bond. Anyway, it didn't uh, hurt to have both. Uh, you understand what Ben means? Yes, Oscar, I understand. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Rathlin. I'm David Daw. And this week, we watched Lillian Hellman's The Little Foxes, starring Betty Davis, and I didn't hate it. I kind of hated it. Okay, why did you hate it? Because this was actually... This was a good movie. (laughs) Because Betty Davis is garbage in it, and she's in like two-thirds of it. (laughs) Yeah, but I feel like she's actually playing the part that she's meant to play, which is absolutely loathable and completely irredeemable. No, see, I completely disagree. Because I think actually having her be just completely loathsome and irredeemable is the problem with this movie. Because it takes away the fact that there's like an ecosystem of loathsome, irredeemable human beings in here, and puts it all on her. So that there is no, like, logic to the ways that she is trying to move around in a misogynistic society of garbage people by being an even more garbage person. She's just a mustache-twirling villain. Without a mustache. Kind of the thing that's made me like Betty Davis the most of anything I've learned about her is learning that she thinks she's garbage in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I mean, it's definitely a choice to play Regina as just a monster and not someone who is pushed to monstrosity. I don't think it doesn't work. I do think that it is less interesting than the way that it's usually portrayed on stage, which is that Regina has just horrible brothers who have manipulated her for all of her life and are continuing to do so, and she's grabbing at whatever she can in order to have some modicum of power. She has too much power from the beginning in this film. Here's the thing. is It's not like straight a terrible movie because the bones of this thing are the play and the play is very good. And there's a lot of good performances, but the central performance is bad and it's bad in a way that to me kind of takes attention and makes the other performances worse in a way. <laughs> like doesn't give them room to breathe. And that irritates me greatly. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's definitely true with her brothers. One thing that's really interesting to me about the film as opposed to the play, though, is how much more Alexandra gets in the movie Mm -hmm. by adding this love interest for her that isn't in the play. And usually that kind of thing really pisses me off in a film, (laughs) but it provides an outlet for... Alexandra that is so necessary because of how overbearing Betty Davis's Regina is. I think that's true. I think uh, let's go through the plot because not everybody knows the little foxes as well as you do. Well, uh, why is that? <laughs> Didn't everyone major in dramatic lit in college? <laughs> yeah. Who's even listening to this podcast? <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> so we are. <laughs> So we are in the South in the early 20th century. Are we just in New Orleans? Where is it set? Or is it just miscellaneous the South? It is 1900 on the dot. I think Alabama? But it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. 
What matters is that it looks like they're in a southern home in 1900, and it honestly looks like a house that's a little too good for them, which is one of the problems, but we're moving on. (laughs) Betty Davis has a daughter who is a decent human being and two brothers who are absolute monsters, and she is going to go into business with the two brothers. I mean, she's kind of been in business with them, but they're doing a new business venture for like a cotton gin like what is it exactly a cotton mill mill thank you (laughs) we're a little past the cotton gin at this point yeah that's i knew that in my head but i also knew it was cotton and industry and i was like cotton gin there i've passed my ap history class (laughs) yeah that never goes away does it (laughs) nope they each are investing 75 grand in this cotton mill, and she needs to get it from her husband. Horace. Horace is uh, very sickly, and he is out of town. He's up in, like, Tennessee. It's been, like, four days since I watched this. He's up in Virginia, yeah. And the daughter is sent to go get him and bring him back. He comes back and sort of just to spite her, but by that point, you kind of are with him on the spiting her, refuses to give her that money. (laughs) The brothers, one of them has an idiot son who works at the bank that Horace owns, and they have found in Horace's personal safe some railroad bonds that would cover the 75 grand they need to invest in the cotton mill. So they steal it. Horace finds out about them stealing it. And announces to Regina, which is Betty Davis's character, that he is going to say that they can just have it as basically a freebie loan just to screw her over. But then the heart condition he has had through the whole movie acts up and he tries to crawl upstairs to get his medication while Betty Davis watches him die so that she can blackmail her two brothers with the information about them stealing the railroad bonds Once she has them over a barrel, she sort of has a controlling interest in the cotton mill, and so she's going to be rich. But her daughter, who has sort of spent the whole play figuring out that she is a garbage person, finally really puts it together that she's just the fucking worst (laughs) and leaves her. So she has gained the money, but lost everyone in her life. And that's it. Yep, that's it. Yeah. Most of the play. There's some subplots that are added in the movie, and there's one subplot that is in the play that I didn't mention, which is the only other decent human being in this entire city. Who is David. Uh, David sucks. No, it's the aunt. Oh, Birdie. Birdie. David doesn't suck. I like David. David is such a mansplainy piece of shit. Like, he just spends the entire movie going, maybe you should consider that your mom is bad. Hmm, I'll let you figure it out. And, like, she does need to figure it out, but he is exhausting. I don't like David very much. She has big James Vanderbeek energy, though, and that's endearing to me. (laughs) I think that's why I couldn't stand him. Which is not to say... I think it's that, like, one, his name is David, and two, he has big, specifically Dawson's Creek era James Vanderbeek. Yeah, he has big Dawson energy. (laughs) The combination of the name David and big Dawson energy is a real, you don't hate anybody like yourself two years ago. (laughs) It's just like, oh, nobody needs that, my friend. Please stop. (laughs) To be fair, David, I think it's been much longer than two years since you had big Dawson energy. Yeah, but I still- Much longer. I still confuse cotton mills and cotton gin, so it feels like just yesterday, Susan. (laughs) 
Birdie, though. Let's talk about Birdie. So Birdie is Alexandra's aunt and Regina's sister-in-law, who is married to one of Regina's brothers, who is literally physically abusive to her. She's apparently sort of Southern aristocrat and had this plantation, but they were out of money, which is why she married Regina's brother and has just been so badly mistreated that she has turned to drinking. I mean, the single best scene in this film is the one where she sobers up just a little bit. Just enough. And then confesses that she drinks all the time. And confesses she... I don't even think the family was poor. The way she says it is she fell for it. Regina's brother convinced her that he was actually in love with her. And then they got married and he was like, you fucking sucker, I'm just in it for the plantation. Then she just drank to forget for basically the entire rest of her life while her husband was physically abusive toward her. And she has these little moments of lucidity where she tries to save Regina's daughter, Alexandra, from that same fate. And they're kind of the best performance moments in the entire movie. Patricia Colch is amazing in those scenes. Yeah. The scene in particular that's her big confessional scene that starts with her saying that she doesn't like her son, Leo. And everybody wants Leo and Alexandra to get married, I suppose, to sort of secure whatever the fortune is between the two families. And she says, I don't like my son. And she kind of gives this incredibly tragic, embarrassed laugh and says that she dislikes him more than she does her abusive husband. And the realization that you can see in her of how horribly guilty she feels about disliking her own child, A, and B, that she is ashamed that she dislikes her own child more than she hates her husband who beats her, is just heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking to hear her come to this realization. The thing that is fascinating about it is that you can sort of see the layers of deadening herself and lying to herself about this stuff kind of progressively fade away. That the realization that she hates her son unlocks a layer beneath that, which unlocks a layer beneath that. Because she just has spent so much time trying to come up with coping mechanisms for this terrible life she's become stuck in. (laughs) And it is the kind of thing you're not getting out of Betty Davis because she's one note and she drags everybody else into that heightened performance. So it is this scene of her doing this incredibly subtle work. Mm -hmm. The thought I had watching it is, God, it's so sad this... I mean, the scene is so sad, but it's also so sad this feels dropped in from another movie because I love that movie so much more. (laughs) I would say that Herbert Marshall, who plays Horace, her husband, and who is also her husband in The Letter, is able to stand up to Betty Davis's bombast Mm -hmm. in this film as he was in the letter and is excellent and some of the scenes with him and alexandra 
which the one with Birdie also includes the two of them. Uh, and then the ones where they're traveling and some after they get home are actually really good and show a lot of tenderness and explain a lot why Alexandra is still good because he has been gently guiding her away from being like her mother. <laughs> And in fact, the moment where they're traveling, where she runs into David having dinner with some other woman and is kind of rude about it and then goes back to the room and tells her dad about it. And her dad says, oh, well, I guess you are your mother's child and makes it clear that that's not OK. <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes and apologizes to the woman David was having dinner with and that whole situation gets smoothed over. One of the major tragedies of this movie is not just that Regina is a horrible mother and Alexandra has to make a break with her, but that her dad could genuinely have been a good father were it not for his health issues that kept him from being at home with her and that she didn't really get the full benefit of that, even though she does get some of it. I think that's totally true. And I think you're right that he is also giving a great performance. There's a lot of people who are like giving good performances Again, saying mean things about Betty Davis's performance, but I actually, reading up on the production history, one, don't think it's Betty Davis's fault. There's really wasn't much for her to do except either do this or do a shallow imitation of another person's performance that the studios just wouldn't hire. I can't believe they wouldn't hire Tallulah Bankhead. I'm so mad about it. It's extremely stupid. But I think you're also right that he is the one person who, as an actor, can stand up in a scene against Regina. He can hold the center right. of the storm in a way that no one else can. Everybody else gets kind of bullied by Betty Davis's performance, which makes her brothers, you're right, less of the villains in this. They just seem kind of like dipshit henchmen. Yeah. Which makes it strange that they have any tension against each other because they almost really don't. Because she seems like this monstrous queen who is directing the whole scheme. And in fact, that's not what's happening. Yeah, it is that Herbert Marshall has worked with her before that lets him know you kind of got to judo it with Betty Davis. Like you can't out center stage Betty Davis. It's just not going to happen. And so he just keeps doing all of these really interesting moments of like, twisting who has control of the scene. He makes the struggle to try and get the spotlight off of Betty Davis fascinating, despite the fact that it's never gonna work, because she is the lead and she's Betty Davis and she's playing this outsized character. He makes it about how he's never going to grab the spotlight from her. And that makes him fascinating to watch in his own right. Whereas the brothers are just kind of trying to go like, here's my big moment. And it's like, that's nothing. You're in a scene with Betty Davis. You're doomed. <laughs> and some credit is definitely due here to Greg Toland for some great cinematography. There's some really interesting camera placement in here. In particular, a scene that jumps out to me is when Betty Davis is standing at the top of the stairs and her brothers are standing at the bottom and the camera placement makes them look almost like they're standing in a hole that's been dug into the ground, which doesn't fix the situation that you were talking about. But nothing was going to, so you might as well just go full bore into it. 
But there's also a scene with Leo and his dad where they're both shaving in the bathroom that is shot into one mirror that faces another. So you're sort of over the shoulder of his dad. You can see his dad's face in the mirror and you can see Leo's face in the mirror while they're talking about stealing the bonds. That is really, really smart. And I think the director, William Wyler, who did The Letter, he's not a good director. He's really not. And what is good about this film is so much down to what Greg Toland manages to wring out of it through the visual elements of the cinematography. There is a lot that is good about this movie, despite the fact that the center doesn't hold. It's not well directed, and Betty Davis is giving the wrong performance as best she can. <laughs> at the center of this thing. Right. But a lot of the secondary characters and tertiary characters are giving great performances. There's a lot of really interesting shots. People are trying to wring as much blood out of this stone as they can, and they're getting some good stuff. We don't have time to go into how complicated quoting Joss Whedon right now is, but there is this old Joss Whedon quote from when he was a script doctor on a lot of shit in the 90s and early 2000s. And one of his big things is that when he was brought in to be a script doctor on the single worst Aliens movie that was ever made, <laughs> they kept saying, we want you to rewrite Act 3, we want you to fix Act 3, we want you to fix Act 3. And he finally said, listen, the problem with Act 3 is Act 1. <laughs> and that's true. Most of the time. Right. Act 3 is never the problem. Let's be real. Act 3 is just what happens when you put Act 1 in motion. Two might be a problem. You can sometimes have to fix some shit in Act Two, but Act Three is never a thing you can clean up. Right. This seems like a production where the Act One decision of hiring Betty Davis over to Lula Bankhead just so thoroughly unbalanced the whole thing that a lot of really talented people did a lot of really good work and it didn't quite right the ship. Like, the problem with Act 3 was Act 1. <laughs> it still has interesting stuff. It isn't a garbage movie. I'm not going to be like too... I'm probably going to be like, don't watch this movie, but I'm not going to just bag on it. It's not one of the movies that we've watched where I feel like you could strap a person into a chair and torture them with it. No, it's definitely not worthy of the clockwork orange <laughs> treatment to someone. Right. It's just not entirely successful. It's not really successful generally because of one central decision. And there's a lot of other good decisions around that that just don't quite make up for it. We haven't even talked about as much as David, I can't, I just can't, <laughs> all of his scenes, that stuff seems like the stuff where Dorothy Parker and her husband at the time, Alan Campbell, were writing on that stuff. And you can tell there's some sparkle to that dialogue. It's kind of got a 40s romantic comedy energy that the rest of the movie does not have because the rest of it's the little foxes and not a 40s romantic comedy. Right. That's good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff, a lot of good performances, a lot of good shots from Greg Toland, as you've said. I just can't get past the Betty Davis of it all. I think that that's fair. And I think that you're right that there is another movie in here in the few times when she is not on screen that is beautiful and subtle and quite moving. The score that I'm going to give this, I feel like you're going to fight me on. <laughs> um, but maybe we should just go to that part and see if you will. 
Yeah. Uh, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first so that we can like, because here's the thing. I feel like I'm going to go with you higher than you'd think, but I'm definitely not like my initial offer isn't going to be my initial offer is a four. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So mine is a six. That's the high range of what I'm willing to give it. I feel like it's just. It's mostly because five seems wrong because this is not an average film. That is the problem is that the logical thing to do is me in the middle here. Right. But I agree with you. To me, the problem is this movie is not more good than bad because Betty Davis is on screen for at least two thirds of it. And it just doesn't work. I feel bad about saying it for once, but it just doesn't work. See, for me, I think that the movie is actually more good than bad because I do think that the art direction is beautiful. I think that the cinematography is great. I think Greg Toland is doing God's work in creating emotional situations that Betty Davis's one note acting is not providing. I think that Horace and Bertie and Alexandra, and I like David, so maybe Maybe David is the sticking point. (laughs) I don't think it is. I think it is a just general point of view thing. And Addie. How have we not talked about Addie? Because... That's the thing is because she doesn't get very much screen time. She doesn't get very much screen time and neither does Cal. But one of the things that I will say about this film that is very positive is that its treatment of black characters and black Southern life at the turn of the 20th century is very realistic. That obviously black people in the South in 1900 are not treated as equals, but the characters are people. Yeah. They're not dumb. They're not stereotypes. I I mean, they actually are human beings who have both strengths and weaknesses. There's a really lovely scene at the beginning after Regina has hosted dinner for the guy who's going to be their business partner on the cotton mill where the black staff is in the kitchen and they're having staff dinner. And there are some black children, I guess, from the neighborhood who come to the door and are asking for food. And Addie has this line about how God says to feed the hungry and that it's in the Bible. They give the kids the food after sort of squabbling about whether or not it's their food to give away. And the kids go away and Cal says, where is that in the Bible? And Addie says, I don't know if it is, but if it isn't, it should be. And that was just so lovely. (laughs) Because I didn't read this in college. I think I've seen a production, but I was like super duper young. All of the Addie stuff felt in a good way like additions from Dorothy Parker. It is. Okay. It's not in the stage text. Because she also has that thing in the scene with Aunt Birdie sort of before all Birdie's stuff, she and Alexandra have like a discussion about what makes a good person a good person and what makes a bad person a bad person and just being exhausted by the fact that bad people always like rob and steal and beat everybody else. Right. That's Also great, but also felt like an addition for the film. I mean, Addie is in the play, but she's mostly just a maid character. Yeah, and that all checks out. If you didn't know, when Dorothy Parker died, she left all of her money to the NAACP, which is one of the raddest things she ever did, besides telling off some people from early 20th century literature who absolutely deserved it. Yep. But uh, yes, I agree that to me, the philosophical split here is not so much about David, even though I just, I just can't. It's, is it about the number of people doing good work or is it about the amount of screen time that good work gets? 
I think the majority of the cast and the majority of the people behind the scenes are all doing good work on this film. But the people who aren't doing good work are the director and the lead actress. And so a lot of this movie just doesn't work. Yeah, you know what? I think we're actually going to have to meet at a five. Because you are talking me down, but I don't think it's a four. I, You know what? I would actually rather do a four-six split than do a five. Because I agree with you on your logic about a five. <laughs> okay. I think we've just got to say, like, this is a philosophical difference of opinion. And one of us is going four and one of us is going six. But we're not getting in a fight about it. Which I'm impressed with us <laughs> for doing. We're not. We're not doing. <laughs> And the other part of it is, is just like, this absolutely isn't a movie that strikes that balance. That's true. It is an incredibly unbalanced film. (laughs) No question. So yeah. Are we both in agreement, though, that don't watch this movie? Oh, yeah. I don't think, I don't think it's, mm, well, I don't. So of all of the Betty Davis films that we have watched, which I feel like there have been 730, (laughs) but I think it's more like five. Right. This is the only one that I would say you could watch. It held my attention. I was interested in it. I didn't just want to set everything on fire while watching it. It wasn't horribly racist. It's literally the only Betty Davis film I think we've ever watched that wasn't horribly racist. Right. And like, she's playing a character that's horribly racist, but for once the movie doesn't share her point of view. Yeah, exactly. And I do think that Patricia Collings' performance is worth seeing, but- it's 50 50 if you want to watch it again it's not going to be one we're going to sit you down and torture you with is it a must see no probably not what i will say is this is currently at the top of the rankings for what betty davis movie to watch but also don't watch this movie (laughs) and there are apparently other recorded productions of it that you could watch if you really just want to see the little foxes i have not seen any of them so i can't give any feedback as to whether or not they're good but they do exist so there's that and Greer Garson is in one of them playing Regina and she was the only thing that was good about Blossoms in the Dust despite them trying to absolutely destroy anything interesting about her character (laughs) the other thing too is this play gets revived every 10 minutes So there is no way that you are not going to be able to see it at some point. Yeah. So you could just go see the play. I would suggest that overseeing this movie. I may come back and revise if this is, at the end of us watching Betty Davis movies, still the best Betty Davis movie. Yes. But at the moment, it's at the top of the rankings, but I would still hope there's some room at the top for a movie with Betty Davis in it that you would rather watch than this. Yeah, it would be nice. I really have come to the conclusion that Betty Davis's star power has to do with how overwhelming she is on screen and not to do with what a good actress she is. I agree with that completely. And I think one of the baffling things is that they keep casting her in roles where that works against the performance. She's just very good at being villainous and she's not good at complexity and it undermines every role that we've seen her in yep so next week <sighs> next week in our slow march toward the maltese falcon god it is the just... slog <laughs> we're watching hold back the dawn right yes Yes, that's right. Starring Charles Boyer and Olivia de Havilland, whom we haven't seen in a while, I feel like. Yeah. 
Or was Charles Boyer in something in 1940? Oh yeah, he was in all this in heaven too. So I guess it hasn't been that long. But Olivia de Havilland hasn't been around in a while. Yeah. Uh, and if I had to pick one of the two, I would definitely pick her. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> so yeah, that'll be something. Hopefully interesting. I can't process this poster. I honestly, in good conscience, cannot tell you if this poster is good or not. Uh, I think it sucks. I think it's a bad poster. There's so much going on that it feels like I can't... You're, I, my immediate instinct is this is bad. Yeah, it's not very good. Also, Paulette Goddard is in this movie, and she was great in The Great Dictator. Oh, yeah. Yeah, shit, she was. I mean, but so was literally everyone in that film. That's really fair. But yeah, tune in next week when we do that thing we just said. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, and until then... This was either four-tenths or six-tenths of a movie, depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> but it was ten-tenths of too much Betty David. <laughs> For sure. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. Now, Dr. Bowden said not much coffee, just now and then. Oh. Do you hear, Addie? Do you hear me? I'm the nurse now. You'd be a better one if you didn't look so dirty. Go on and take a bath, change your linens, and get out a fresh dress and give your hair a good brushing. Well, you'll be all right, Papa. Mm -hmm. I'll look after Mr. Harris. You ring for Belle and have her help you. <laughs>